We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's up, Packaday family? Welcome into the Packaday podcast, this very special 1000th episode edition of the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. In just a bit, I'm going to be joined by Ben Fennel and the one and only Matt Bowen from ESPN and, of course, former Green Bay Packer fame. Before we get there, I would be remiss not to go over a little bit about the Packaday podcast. Please humor me for just a bit as I go through some of this information, um, some of the stats, some of the people that have made this such an incredible journey through a thousand episodes. To start off, I want to give just a really quick story of how this podcast came to be because I do get asked it from time to time. I've given this answer on a few other podcasts and to a few different people in the past, but I've, I don't think I've ever gone through it actually on this show. So in the back of my mind a few years ago was this idea of of maybe doing a podcast. And I, to be totally honest, didn't have any real interest in doing it at all. Just not even one iota of interest. But it was something that was obviously becoming more and more popular. And those in the industry were at least involved in a podcast in some way, shape, or form. And it was something that I felt like I could at least do and have some level of success at, even though I had never done it really before. I'd been a guest on a couple of podcasts, but that was really about it. And I was really kind of going into everything blind. And my overall motivation for the podcast was the New York Times show, The Daily. Um, if you've ever heard it, it's fantastic. Michael Barbaro is kind of uh, you know somebody that I really look up to. He does such an amazing job and really capturing the human element day in and day out. Um, something to strive for that I will never be. But that was kind of my, my I guess, goal podcast that I kind of had in mind when I was starting to think about this. And what the New York Times, the daily is, is it's a, a once a day, five days a week, time, you know, New York Times news podcast that's breaking down basically a new news story or a couple news stories every single day, usually lasting about 20 to 30 minutes. And my thought process was, you know what? There's definitely enough thirst for Packers content that I think we could do a five day a week, once a day, Green Bay Packers daily podcast. And that was kind of my motivation behind everything. And then I'm like, I kind of put it to the wayside because again, I had no real interest in doing it. 
And um, I was thinking of like, well, maybe if I come up with a really good name, I'll, you know, maybe I'll bite the bullet on it and just start doing it or whatever. Well, I was, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but there was a commercial that was on and it was this lady that was climbing this giant smoking ash of like cigarettes. And it was on just repeat. Um, I don't know if it was just the shows that I was watching, but it was literally on like a hundred times a day, I felt like. And it was like Ursula or something smokes 10 packs a day. And like, this is what all the cigarettes looks like or something. And like, I had heard it a million times. And all of a sudden, one day I was sitting there just literally, I think it was literally working on tape or draft study something. And then like my subconscious, it was like, she smokes 10 packs a day, packs a day, packs a day. And like in my subconscious, it was like pack a day, pack a day, the pack a day podcast. And I'm like, that's it. That is the name of this daily Packers podcast, Pack a Day. And I immediately signed up for the Twitter handle, Pack a Day Podcast. And that, like, within an hour, I sent out an email or a tweet on Twitter, I should say, asking if anyone wanted to be involved in this podcast. And there were a few people that I had in mind, Matub, Zach Jacobson, Dusty Evely, off the top of my head, that I really wanted to be involved in the podcast and reached out to them. But then I basically opened it up to just about everyone. And my thought process at the time is that maybe I could do this where it's once a day, five days a week, and I could have one person own Monday, one person own Tuesday, and they would basically have their own individual podcast, but it would be part of this pack a day network, so to speak. So um, instead of that, I ended up with like literally 230, 240 responses on Twitter of people that were interested. And I honestly, the most painstaking process to this day of putting together this podcast was narrowing down the people that I was going to add to this team. And I added, I want to say like an initial 20 or 22 people um, to the team. I you know, some of them were just immediate yeses. I knew that I wanted to add them, but for everyone else, I went through and um, a lot of people, you know, unfortunately just didn't have anything Packers related, podcast related, like to the point where I had to narrow it down somewhere. So some people I just had to say no to. And there's probably like another like 30 people where I had submit audio samples and, you know, narrowed it down and eventually came to about 20 to 22 people. And to this day, the best part about this is not the level of podcasters that we got for this show, but the amazing humans that we've got for this show. And I'll get to that in a moment. But um, that's been absolutely, absolutely a, a huge part of this is the people that I've added uh, to this team and, and been, been part of this, a lot of them since day one. So got all those responses um, and then basically got everyone together. And this is how we broke things up. Like you would think that like Andrew and Kyle just had like, you know, knew each other, had this natural chemistry. So we put them together. Together, or like, you know, um, you know, Mark and Jake or like, you know, Ross and, and, uh, and Jake Morley or something like, like Ross and Jake Morley knew each other a bit. So that was one that we kind of set to the side, but like so many of this was just like me kind of thinking like, Hey, I think these two people might work together, but we basically kind of like paired people off like Noah's Ark. And I'm just like, all right, let's, let's pair these people off. And like so many of them work to near perfection. Andrew and Kyle is such a perfect example of that, who now have done this literally every single day for three years or every Friday for three years. Uh, they become really good friends, which is just such a cool part of the story. And th- by no means are they the only one with that type of story through this process. Um, so then we kind of went and we did some practice episodes, breaking down positional groups. And then all of a sudden we split people up and we started live on July 26th. And I start, you know, I recorded my first episode July 25th, um, you know, sent out that first episode, made it live. It goes live. You know, eventually we get it live on Apple podcasts and Spotify and, you know, everywhere you now get your favorite podcasts, of course. And we were off and running. And to this day, you know, a thousand episodes in, we have never missed a single day of podcasting, which is absolutely uh, beyond incredible and just a huge testament again to the team that we've put together. So let's go over some stats really quick because I figured you would enjoy these. Yes, I have actually kept stats of who has done podcasts from episode one up until episode 1000. So let me give you the top 10 people um, who have recorded episodes on Pack a Day. Number one is a tie between Jacob Westendorf and Andrew Murtag, both recording 151 episodes. That means each of them, if you randomly pick an episode, there's a 15% chance that it includes either Andrew Murtag or Jacob Westendorf, which is absolutely crazy. Both of them have more episodes recorded even than I do, which is, uh, again, crazy to think about. Third on the list is me with 146 episodes, today being my 146th. 
Uh, Kyle Fellows with 139, Steve Perhatch with 125, Dusty Evely with 114, Sarah Kelleher and Maggie Loney both with 98, which is pretty impressive since neither of them were technically in the initial group uh, that we started off with, but they're both at 98. Um, Jason Perone, somebody also who was added along the way, 97, and Mark Eckel also at 97. So those are our top 10. Our top 10 uh, teams that we've had, Andrew and Kyle, have combined for 110 episodes on their own. They've actually done more than that, but if there's somebody else with them, I counted in a different category. So Andrew and Kyle, 110. Dusty, Steve, Sarah, same thing. They've done more than this, but just the three of them alone, 83 episodes. Jake and Ross, 58. Me by myself is 42, actually. Dan, Matt, and Janelle is 40. Jason, Mark, and Paul is 40. Mike and Tyler, 34. Jake and Mark, 29. Nick, Maggie, and Jacob, 29. And Mark and Jason, 23. So those are the top 10 most listened to. And the two guests who have appeared most on our show that are not actually members of the team, Joe Marino from the Draft Network with five episodes and Aaron Nagler, of course, from Cheesehead TV, also with five episodes. So they are the two guests that have appeared the most. Um, the Packers that have actually been on this show so far, we've had on or either current or past Packers, Alan Lazard, Billy Turner, Curtis Bolton, Jay Sternberger, Kenny Clark, Reggie Begleton, Tim Boyle, of course, Tom Crabtree, Ty Summers, Kingsley Kiki, and today, Matt Bowen. So um, absolutely unbelievable that we've been able to have so many Packers on this podcast to come and chat with us. Just makes it that much more special. Um, and then again, the, the biggest thing that I want to get across here is that the people on this team, as great as they are of podcasters, they are even better people. And I'm just so amazed at the quality of individuals that are on this team. Not once, not once. I shouldn't say that. One time, one time in a thousand episodes, I had somebody reach out to me because they thought that Ross Uglum said something. I forget if it was like racist or derogatory or something. And I went back and I was all panicked and I went back and listened to the episode and it was like nothing even close. Like he said a, the last name of a Packer player or something and it wasn't even like anything. And then they're like, and because it was Jersey Al, they reported it on Cheesehead TV. Jersey Al looked into it. And then I went back to him. And I'm like, uh, listen to it again. This is literally just somebody's name. And he's like, oh yeah, you're right. So one time out of a thousand episodes where I've had somebody complain to me about somebody saying something that they thought, you know, was inappropriate or anything like that. And it turned out to be a complete false alarm. So uh, again, it just show, goes to show you that like that doesn't happen. You know, there's again, just the tremendous, um, you know, group of people that are on this and the, the character that they are as people is above and beyond anything else. Um, my vision for this originally was honestly just to be a part of this team. I didn't want to lead anything. I didn't want to have to do more than just, you know, my 111th, if you will. And that's, I'm not saying that that's legitimately what I wanted to do. And honestly, that's what it's been. Literally when I was out sick with, um, you know, having to get my gallbladder removed, basically, uh, the entire team stepped it up and did everything while I was out. It literally showed how useless I am for the most part to this podcast where everything completely ran without a remote hitch while I was out and nobody even noticed. Um, and again, that just shows the the quality of people on this team. And again, that's literally been how it's been. You know, I forget sometimes, and I apologize to the team for this all the time. Sometimes I forget to thank them and even like give them feedback or anything because they just crush it every single day. And my biggest fear going into this was that as I started things, like I would sign everyone up and everyone would start with an episode. And obviously we didn't do five days a week. We ended up with literally 365 days a year. Um, and then like every other episode, people would forget to do it or not hand it in. And I'd be recording a late night episode all by myself. And it would be the worst. I think I've filled in for maybe one or two episodes in uh, a thousand, like I've filled in for people. And almost every time if someone's out, somebody else steps up and fills right in. Um, Jacob Westendorf, probably more than anyone else over the course of the past 1,000 episodes. Andrew's another one who's filled in multiple times. Nick Schmitz has. Like, it's just been absolutely incredible that people, again, have been willing to step up even when somebody else can't record and it's a last-minute need or a last-minute fill-in. Uh, just, again, goes to show the type of people that we have on this team. I have so much insane respect for everyone 
on this team. And if anyone from the team is listening, I hope you continue to grow and find an amazing path covering the Packers. My hope always is that you outgrow this and you become such a big star uh, that, again, someday we have to replace you and it starts the cycle over. And if you want to stay on while you're a huge star, even better. Uh, But my goal is to see you continue to grow. And I've seen so many of you already start off with different ventures. Jacob Westendorf, again, a great example of this uh, with what he's doing with Game On Wisconsin. Janelle Mackey just started a new podcast. Andrew Mertegs become the draft expert um, at Game On Wisconsin. Uh, The list goes on and on, but so many people have just started so many different endeavors. um, And to be even just a small piece of that, um, it it just goes without saying how, how proud I am of everyone on this team. I also want to thank Blue Wire, who has been, um, you know, a huge partner of ours. Kevin Jones, specifically, um, the president and founder of Blue Wire Networks, he's been amazing to work with. Uh, we wouldn't be here today without him. So thank you to him. And then, last but not least, I just want to literally list everyone that's ever been a part of this team and thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this endeavor with me. Jacob Westendorf, Andrew Murtag, Kyle Fellows, Steve Perhatch, Dusty Evely. Sarah Kelleher, Maggie Loney, Jason Perone, Mark Eckel, Mike Wenlint, Nick Schmitz, Dan Kotnick, Tyler Grezegorik, Jake Morley, Paul Brettel, Matt Fralick, Ross Uglum, Janelle Mackey, excuse me, Janelle, Gage Bridgeford, Zach Jacobson, Jake Turner, Chris Schimmel, Jimmy Christensen, Perry uh, Goldstein, Owen Reese, Alex Strofe, Josh Circle, Ben Fennel, Trevor Jossart, Matt, but don't call me Matt, call me Matub. I think I just butchered that, but sorry, Matub. Um, Russ Brown, Rob Rieger, Brennan, and uh, Eli Berkovitz. So Brennan Rupp, excuse me, and Eli Berkovitz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you all so incredibly much. Uh, For those who didn't see on Twitter, they just got me a 1,000th episode jersey framed. It is beyond amazing and beyond words and a little booklet um, with all just amazing words and, and acts of kindness and everything else. To the team, I literally would not be here without you I, my goal in life is to surround myself with better and smarter people than myself. Um, and if there's anything that I've succeeded at, it is definitely that in this endeavor. Thank you, each and every one of you. I sincerely appreciate you. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of this team and this community, because it means more than me, to me than you will literally ever, ever know. Without further ado, thank you for all of those who have listened. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to give it over to myself, Ben Fennell, and Matt Bowen. I hope you enjoy today's 1,000th episode, and please join us tomorrow for episode 1001. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply.
See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Joining me now, as always, is Ben Fennell. He is a writer and analyst for The Athletic. He is doing everything with the draft over at NFL Network. Um, ben, great to have you back as always. Thanks for joining me on this huge 1,000th episode. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on as we sit here uh, two weeks away from the first round of the NFL draft. Exciting time. It really, really is. And joining me and Ben as our special guest today is the one and only Matt Bowen. He is a NFL writer and analyst for ESPN and NFL matchup. He is a former safety at the University of Iowa, of course, played in the NFL for St. Louis, Washington, Buffalo, and of course, for your Green Bay Packers. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know how busy your schedule is during draft time and football season in general. Um, So thanks for joining Ben and I for this very special 1000th edition of the podcast. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. And like Ben said, this is one of the best times of the year. Yeah, it's one of my it. favorite times because you get to pull back a little bit. There's not the, the structure of a regular season in the National Football League. You can get to watch more prospects, focus on traits, try to project where they're going to fit. It creates great discussions. It really does. It's like uh, it, it's it's like like Christmas Eve right now, and then the draft is Christmas, and then after that you get to unwrap all the presents and see where everyone ends up going. And I love always watching not only you know the, the prospects in what order they get selected, but what teams have those per you know what players get those perfect team fits. DK Metcalf to the Seahawks with the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, like those things that you can just pick out immediately and say that works perfect. I love seeing those things. So no, it is an absolutely magical time of the year. As I told Ben uh, before you came on. Matt. I'm so excited today. You know, I obviously get to host this quite a bit. I do the YouTube video um, every day and I get to talk and today I'm just ready to shut up and listen to you guys talk football stuff because uh, I could not be more excited. I don't really get nervous for this stuff anymore, but um, I really don't want to screw up the fact that I have Ben Fennel and Matt Bowen on the show being able to break down X's and O's and draft stuff. So I'm going to try to let you guys do the very heavy lifting today and could not be more excited uh, to kind of go through this with both of you. But before we jump in, I would be remiss miss not to ask you, Matt, you obviously had an opportunity to play for the Packers. I would just love to hear, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear one great memory, amazing story. I'll let you go in any direction that you want, but something about your time with Green Bay. I think my greatest memory uh, was probably the 2002 season. And I thought that was a Super Bowl team. You know, that's the team we lost to Michael Vick in Atlanta in the playoffs. Obviously didn't play our best football that night, but you go back to the regular season, uh, when 12 win season, my favorite game for that year is one of my favorite, it's probably my favorite game as a pro was the Monday night game against the bears. And obviously we played at the university of Illinois because they were redoing soldier field. And I grew up in the Chicago area. I mean, that, the 85 bears, that, that was my team. You know, I wanted to be Jim McMahon growing up. So for me, it was kind of like playing against your childhood. I had, you know, high school friends there. My parents were down there my family. Uh, and I had to, got to start that football game. And so, you know, the emotions of that, uh, just putting that together, plus being on Monday night football was outstanding. And I'll say this, and I wrote about this at ESPN. So I was real nervous about playing in that football game. Right. Uh, and, and trust me, when you're playing champagne, you're not staying at, uh, at the Ritz or anything, right. You're not in downtown Chicago, staying at the Western or something like that. We were in Rantoul, Illinois. And I was so nervous about it. I drank a bunch of Gatorade and coffee. Um, and my roommate was Aaron Cameron and I woke up in the middle of the night and I completely, Wet my bed. All right. <laughs> Wet my bed. So I didn't know what to do. Right. So I didn't know what to do. So I I got all the sheets, right? And I like wrapped it up like and threw it over my shoulder. I'm like, well, I'll just go down to the laundry and get new sheets. Okay. I just put a towel around and I went down. There's there is no laundry. It was like a holodome and ran to Illinois. So there's nowhere to go. So I'm like, I gotta get rid of this stuff. So I open up a door. I'm like, I'll go outside into you know the back alley, whatever, throw it in the dumpster. I'll figure something out when I get back to the room. I go outside and throw in the dumpster. The door closes. There's no handle on it. I'm outside by myself. It's like three in the morning. So I had to walk around the front of the hotel, come in, try to explain to this, this person at the desk that I played for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> they didn't believe me. So I get team security down there. And I'm standing there in a the towel and find a way to get back to my room. And I didn't tell Cameron for like 10 years. I was like too embarrassed to tell Cameron. You know, obviously I played with Aaron at, at Iowa. We're still great friends. And I eventually told him like 10 years later, but I went out and played okay that night. I did have a, a pass interference call in, in the end zone. I panicked to the point of attack like a young defensive back does on a wheel routes running back Anthony Thomas. We played well that night. That was the, the, the game where Favre threw the, 
opening touchdown to Donald Driver. He's moving to his left. It's one of the best throws I've ever seen in my life. You know, and, and Ben, we've seen a bunch of great throws this year at Pro Days. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, et cetera, right? Moving to their left, throwing 60 yards on the line. Well, Brett did that in a real game, in a real <laughs> game to Donald Driver. And you just hear the energy get, get removed from the stadium, Memorial Stadium in Champaign. Um, but, yeah, that game, having wet my bed, getting ca- caught outside in the parking lot at 3 in the morning, having to find my way back into the hotel, and then playing decent enough football. But that was my favorite game. And the other thing I'll say is when I got to Green Bay, it was just as Lambo was starting to be uh, renovated. So we still had the old meeting rooms. Uh, the, old, you know, the, the way to get down the stadium was these old concrete steps. And you can hear the cleats walking down. And I just always think to myself, I'm a big believer in the history of the league. You know, these are the same steps that Paul Horning walked down, the same steps that Reggie White walked down. Um, and I told people, I always felt that playing for the Green Bay Packers was like playing for the New York Yankees. I still believe that. Because the history there, <laughs> it just feels different when you walk into that building. It just feels different. Um, and even with it renovated, it still feels different. It, it, it just feels like you're playing for a champion. That's got to be one of those stories your grateful Twitter didn't exist back then because, you know, somebody would have caught you in the lobby at 3 a.m. But you remember picking off Brady in 02? And what's your thoughts about still seeing him play uh, with you guys both being young players in the early 2000s? Well, yeah, I do remember. That was, that was a great game, Ben. So we went to New England in 02 that season, and we had a bunch of injuries. A bunch of guys were out. We were signing guys off the street, um, having workouts on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and they were in pads and playing in the secondary. I mean, it was like a brand-new secondary out there. Um, and we played well. Obviously, Farr played well. Amon Green, he had, I want to say, 140 yards rushing. It was old-school football game. It was, it was nasty weather out there. And I remember the play. Uh, it was a deep dig route to Deion Branch, and we were playing cover two. And I jumped it. I said, I'm going to go try to make a play, which I never did. I wasn't a lineman. You guys dropped eight. You dropped eight on third and eight. You got a lot of people in coverage. Brady held it for just a count on you. Right. Do you remember who tipped it in front of you? I don't, but the way it, it ended up, Ben, I got there early too. And I don't tell people that, but I got there early. There was no question I hit Branch early. And the picture from, there's a picture, there was a picture in the newspaper. You know, people saw the newspaper back then. And it looks like I made a one-hand catch. Sure did. That makes the story even better, that I can say, well, it was a one-hand catch versus break. No one knows unless you go back and watch the tape. Um, but, yeah, that, that was uh, – well, that was your good buddy, uh, Todd McBride, in front of you that uh, tipped that up. And the last thing before we uh, move to the draft, I don't know if you remember, in 02, you did a little Q&A with the Packers, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you were a different man back then, nearly 20 years ago, some funny answers. You know, George Clooney playing you in a movie about yourself. Uh, the three guys that go to dinner, you got Abraham Lincoln, Kelly Preston, Meg Ryan. Interesting choices. But the one interesting answer here, Matt, do you have any phobias? And your answer was, well, sort of, I hate big spoons. I don't know if you just want to take maybe 20 seconds to see if you've overcome that fear of, uh, you know, the ladle community. Well, I used, to be a big, I used to be a big cereal guy back then, okay? And I don't like big spoons for cereal. I just don't like them. And we have them in our house now. I hide them. I just don't like the big spoons. I like regular spoons. Um, and Ferrario, Bill Ferrario is one of my really good friends. He played in that team, obviously, Wisconsin grad. And Ferrario, I remember telling him that he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> that way. But to answer your question real quick about Tom still playing, uh, I have four boys. My youngest boy, Ronnie, is seven. And we were watching the, um, the Buccaneers this year. And we're, you know, my older boys said, you know, dad played against them. And, and Ronnie's like, well, why aren't you still playing? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Tom Brady's going to the Hall of Fame. Dad is not. And uh, he's maybe one of the, maybe the best quarterback of all time. I was just lucky to compete against him in, in college too. We had some battles with Michigan back in the day. That's amazing. I, I can a million percent relate to the the big spoon. I'm not afraid of big spoons, but like you can get rid of all of those big. There's no use for them, and I don't like the really little ones either. Like every other utensil, it doesn't really matter the size, but like the spoon has to be that exact right size. I'm a million percent with you, Matt. Yeah, I just I don't like the big spoons. 
All right. I don't know how we can transition from that to the draft, but I'm going to do my best to, to do so anyway. Um, ben and I have had the opportunity over a couple different episodes to talk about some of the corners in this draft. So it seems to be a really great you know, draft class for the cornerback position. We know that Green Bay is moving to potentially more zone style defense from this Brandon Staley um, and of course, mm-hmm. Joe Barry style defense. I'm wondering, Matt, if you've had the opportunity to take a look at some of these corners and how they would, I know you've had the opportunity, but which corner um, would potentially fit in this style of defense? Well, I think if you're looking at, at the end of the first round, who could be available? And again, we're projecting. We don't, we don't yeah. know how the draft's going to essentially play off. But, uh, you know, Greg Newsom is someone that's interesting to me. Um, Northwestern, you know, local here. Uh, played his first three years at high school, Glenbar North High School, right down the street from us. Uh, I think he is a technician. That's the best way I can say it. Now, we also know the pro day testing numbers, but if you watch them on film, I think it's his technique, the ability to keep his shoulder square, smooth in his pedal, come out of his break. He has on-the-ball production. And I think Ben would agree with this. And, you know, it's one thing to say, well, you want a corner with a lot of interceptions. Interceptions are hard to get. Yep. They're hard. I played seven years in the league. I have four. Okay, they don't just fall into your lap. I wish they did. But especially at the corner. But do you have on-the-ball production? Can you finish on the football? You know, create disruption at the point of attack. I can think Greg Newsom can do that. I like his transition speed coming out of his break. He's got forward ability. I use that term probably too much. I use it with second-level linebackers, but especially guys in the secondary. How fast can you get from point A to B going forward? That's why I teach at the high school level, too. Your transition coming out of your pedal is so important. Your transition coming out of a bail technique is so important. And can you tackle there? Can you bring a physical element to position when you get there? Because I think that is so important, too. When you're playing a team, whether it's high school, college, or the NFL, you want those wide receivers the next week Say, I don't know if we really want this. I don't know if we really want to play against these guys because they dictate the tempo of the game from a secondary perspective. I like Greg Newsom. I think he would fit if you're talking about playing more zone heavy, playing quarters, split safety, but also ability to play man. And that's something I think that always belongs to the discussion. No matter how zone heavy you are, every defensive coordinator, every secondary coach, there are certain game situations you want to play man. Third and two to six. Pressure situations inside the low red zone. I see the low red zone as plus 10 yard line and in. You want to be locked up. You want to challenge guys and disrupt releases at the line of scrimmage and be in a position where you can snug up to the hip of that wide receiver and use your length and your technique at the point of attack, point of attack to get the ball out. You know, Matt, I think this is an interesting discussion because this time of year we get so enamored with the big, tall, long, height, weight, speed, press corners. Mm-hmm. But some of my favorite defenses in the NFL are zone-based whether that was the Rams, the Colts, the Bills, a little bit of the Packers and the Steelers, a lot of zone coverages. In fact, quarters has doubled over the last five yeah. years. You're seeing a lot of zone around the league. So whether it's a Greg Newsom or maybe Asante Samuel Jr., you know, Paulson Adebo, there's a lot of good zone corners in this class that I just feel like get criticized for not having the true press man ability, whether it's the transition speed, the ball skills, finding the ball down the field. But my one negative in zone is, yes, you allow a lot of completions, but you prevent the ball from going over your head. You tackle the ball carry in front of you. There's a place for these schemes and these types of players in the league. Um, I just want to know what your thoughts are on just seeing more zone coverage kind of over the last two, three, four years and where you think it might be going. I agree with you, Ben. Uh, I think it is going to increase. Let's think if if, if we're a coaching staff and we have to match up against Kansas City this week. One, you have to have the amount of guys to play man coverage. You have to check Kelsey, and that's the toughest matchup. What's your answer for Kelsey? It's always the, the question I have. Tyreek Hill, Hardman, Robinson. That's the answer for the Chiefs. That's what the Bucs said. We got to play zone. We can't match up against these, right. these gazelles of the Chiefs. Yeah. And what you can do is, especially in split safety coverage, what you're seeing, guys, is how you use your safeties, that forward ability, but also cutting crossers. We see so many crossers and overalls now in the NFL and inbreakers. I think when you play split safety, you can kind of close the middle of the field. I obviously take away explosive playability. You know, push your free safety from the backside of three by one, push them to the trip side, have them bracket that inside vertical. You see a lot, we call it a matchup, we call it four lock. There's a lot of different terms for it. What you're doing is you're playing quarters to the trip side and you're locking the backside X. But that free safety, the backside X can still help if you get a quick. You know, you get a glance throughout a skinny post, you get a deep inbreak, you can still flip your hips and transition and help in that. But I like quarters a lot. And that's what we play. You know, I'm back in Washington with Greg Williams and even in Green Bay with that Donatel, we played a lot of split safety. 
because you can close the middle of the field and it's how you utilize your safeties to drive and cut those inbreakers. I think a great example, you know, Vic Vangio's defense, but also remember that 2018 Bears team with Amos and Eddie Jackson, how they, you know, they would cut crossers like crazy. Yeah. And then you have your corner replaced over the top. Now there's always a risk involved when you do that. But I do think the league is going more split safety. You're seeing a lot more cover too, also, Ben. I think it's to, you know, limit explosive playability. You go against the Josh Allen. You go against Aaron Rodgers. You go against Patrick Mahomes. Hey, you have to take away explosive plays. You have to. And that goes back, you know, Lovey Smith um, was my coordinator my second year in St. Louis. And that's before I went to Green Bay. I broke my foot first game against the Eagles. Eventually, got waved injured. But I remember what Lovey said in our one of our first meetings is, Make them go 20 plays. Eventually, they'll make a mistake. Eventually, they'll, com- they'll commit a penalty and get behind the sticks. Or eventually, they'll just become impatient. And we know offensive coordinators. They become impatient. We know quarterbacks. They become impatient. If you're running flat seven, which is flat corner, those quarterbacks don't want to throw the flat ball. All day. They don't. They want to try to fit it in there. One of the best positions to play is a split safety because it's a lot of tips and overthrows, right? You get guys dropping with depth who can settle, break in the football, and also muddy those throwing windows and restrict those throwing windows for quarterbacks, that's how you create turnover opportunities. I feel like teams like the Colts and the Rams got so many turnovers with just Mm -hmm. their eyes forward. And that, you know, obviously you're in better position for the tips and the overthrows and things like that. But you are mentioning those cover four safeties. That is a stressful position. You have to have quick trigger downhill against the run. And cutting crossers, still being able to get depth behind you, all while playing at about 9, 10, 11 yards. Mm-hmm. What John Johnson and Jordan Fuller did for the Rams last year was yeah. incredible. So projecting that forward to the Packers, there's this big need for corner. But I kind of think the safety spot is super stressful. I love Adrian Amos, as you had mentioned, coming over from that Fangio quarter scheme from Chicago. But they might need another safety next to him in that kind of quarter scheme. Yeah, you could. And, and there, I think that's where the league is going. That's what we're going to do on a matchup show, Ben. I think this safety class, which isn't talked about a lot, right? It isn't talked about a lot because what do we see in our business? Mock drafts are for one round, right? That's what they usually are. So sometimes you have a, a Trayvon Merrick from TCU get into the back of the first round. Trayvon Merrick played for Gary Patterson. That is split safety coverage. And I agree on the stress there, Ben, because the quarter safety, what they're going to do is they're going to isolate you. They're going to isolate you with speed from the slot. They're going to make you play a corner route from the slot. They're going to make you play an over route from the slot. You have to be able to match speed from the slot as well, even with that forward ability. You're going to have to flip open and run down the football field. One player I really like I wanted to ask you guys about is Jamar Johnson from Indiana. I like his take. I think Jamar Johnson, and he reminds me of a player that can be in a Brandon Staley type of defense because he does have forward ability. He's got deep half or split field range, as I call it. And also in your sub packages, he can be your overhang defender. I think that's becoming more of a, a premier position now, guys, is who can be your overhang defender. You need someone there who can cut off the ball in the run game. Someone can drop to the hook and curl. Someone with that forward ability to drive downhill. But also if you play some match coverages underneath, like a three match, you got to carry the seam. You got to carry the seven. You got to be able to cushion those routes in the field. And you also, that's where you can pressure from as well. Jamar Johnson's a player I like there. Andre Sisco. I like Andre Sisco. I don't know what the general consensus is on him, but I know talking with Greg Cosell, we're going we're gonna to focus a little bit on Sisco during the draft because he has ball skills. I think he had 13 interceptions, guys, in about 22, 24 college games. It's a big number. Yeah. A big number. He's got the split field range. Uh, he's good at the point of attack. So those are two players to look at there along with Mary that if you're looking for split safety, and also another one is Richard Grant from Central Florida. I really like Richie Green. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's got elite traits or high-end traits, former two-star recruit. But look at him as a football player. He does everything you want. You know, he can play split safety. He can play the deep half and cover two. He brings a physical element to the box when you roll him down. And I say he's got cover down ability. I use this a lot, guys. We're talking about safeties. You know, if safeties could cover in the slot consistently, they'd be slot corners, right? Right. So what you need there, I use the term the ability to cover down. Same thing I said in my high school players. You have to show the ability to cover down. Again, that forward ability to, to cover the speed out, cover the flat ball, cover the crosser. When you pressure from the slot, you have to roll down, be ready to break in the football. But there's a difference between covering down and playing Cole Beasley on third and two to six, right? 
you're playing Cole Beasley on third and two to six, you better have some lateral movement skills, man, or you're going to get smoked, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could have never done that as a safety. But a lot of these safeties, they're patient. I think Richie Grant has got really good technique. He's patient. He keeps his shoulders square. He understands when to undercut routes. Same with Merrick from TCU. So these guys have enough versatility in terms of their traits and how they fit in a pro scheme that they would fit with the Green Bay Packers. You know, I think what we're talking about is kind of what I call the cover safety. In that nickel DB, that small corner is kind of a dying breed now. There's only so many Brandon Stokely's and Wes Welker's anymore, and that small nickel was being picked on in the run game. So when I see a Jamar Johnson that has played free safety, has played off the edge at the overhang, he's got the size, the toughness to stick his nose in the run, not be a liability in the box, while still being a savvy cover player on the back end. Same thing for Richie Grant. And some of these other guys I like might be linebacker, you know, converts because of their size, whether that's a Talanoa Hufanga at a USC, mm-hmm. maybe a Divine Diablo, who's 6'3", yeah. 225. Jamie and Sherwood uh, at Auburn has arms that hang to the floor, just an incredible height, weight, speed prospect. So I'm looking for a safety with good size, not a liability in the box, but you got to have some cover savvy. Like you mentioned, you got to be able to play over number two, play in the slot. They're going to put speed there. They're going to yeah. threaten that position. You have to be able to not be for lack of better words, a fish out of water. Right. You have to be able to play backwards. No question. That. I mean, you have to be able to play backwards. You have to be able to get in your pedal and be able to transition from your pedal to play, uh, you know, the, the post, the corner, the straight go ball, and the crosser and the over. I mean, you have and to And while having the temperament to play in the box. And like yeah. Richie Grant will come down and will smoke you as a run fill safety, which you, you got to check that box first and foremost. So I agree. That, and that's what the league's going right now, but – we're seeing more and more of that in college, too. I mean, teams are playing more split safety now in college also. So these kids, not kids, these prospects are getting reps and have played in those systems before. Now the transition is, you know, to match pro speed, which takes time, but the traits are there. So, Ben, I, I kind of know the answer to this, I think, already, but you mentioned, obviously, Amos being there, Green Bay potentially being able to target a safety early in the draft. Let's say Green Bay does get one of these early safeties how do you see Green Bay playing with Amos Savage and one of these, you know, first round, second round rookie safeties? And how would you kind of deploy that type of defense? I think Savage is a better fit to be more of that true nickel spot where Shannon Sullivan played last year, more of an underneath player. So I can get him from point A to B, uh, whether it's blitzing or uh, maybe buzzing some zones underneath. I think he's much better in the underneath intermediate area as opposed to a back end player. So that means there's kind of a void next to Adrian Amos. So I think one of these safety prospects, whether it was a a Mareg, whether it was a Hufanga, I think would be great fits and kind of day one starters uh, alongside Amos. If Joe Barry wants to keep the same kind of structural framework of that Ram scheme, which at this point, it's a little speculative. I don't think he's going to go to a clinic and all of a sudden be a a press man pressure guy. (laughs) Um, But if he keeps the same structural quarters look, I think somebody next to Amos is uh, more of a vacancy than the corner spot. Yeah, I I think that's right. And I think the other thing, too, is we started to see, and and who knows, again, how this will look in a new defense, but we started to see Adrian Amos get used a little bit in that box safety role with Raven Green when he went down with injury. And, of course, Raven Green's no longer on the team right now. So having those versatile pieces in the secondary, players you could play in the slot, free safety, strong safety, also potentially in the box, I just think it gives your defensive coordinator a lot of different weapons that they can Yeah, and Andy, and these are the same guys that will be that dime linebacker, which, you know, Green Bay just – craves getting out of base as early as possible. <laughs> they want to get into nickel, get those linebackers off the field, get into dime. That means more DBs, more safeties. Somebody's got to be that dime linebacker. One of these guys that's 220 pounds would be a great fit. Yeah, and I know we're, uh, we're running a little short on time here, but I do want to flip sides to the offensive side of the ball. Um, and Matt, I want to start by you know picking your brain on what are some of these RPO weapons in the offense that you could see um, you know, really fitting in with a Matt LaFleur system? Green Bay has weapons in Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, but yeah. they don't necessarily have that guy. We saw them try to utilize Tyler Irvin in a, in a you know, kind of role like this, but who are some of the guys that you could maybe get the ball in their hands and they could just be a threat uh, at any point in the field? It's interesting where they're going to, if they target uh, a receiver like that, Andy, where they target. If you're looking at the back end of round one, you know, the, the first player that comes to mind, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Yep. And I don't know where Elijah Moore is going to go. Is he a one? Is he an early two? I don't know that yet. But Elijah Moore has those traits. He gives you speed from the slot. You can scheme touches for him. 
Well, you know, what's interesting you asked that question is we're doing a piece for our draft shows on matchup on wide receivers we call motion movement prospects. You know, that can be schemed off pre-snap motion that can give you the speed from the slot. Multiple alignments, you can run rail routes out of the backfield, the fly sweeps, obviously the screen package. You know, Ben commented on this on Twitter the other day and he had all the stats behind it. You know, how much pre- and post-snap movement Green Bay utilizes. Well, obviously Rondell Moore from Purdue would fit there. Rondell Moore is extremely sudden. He's got ball carrier vision, and I think that's extremely important. He's got a physical element he brings to the position. We know he's got the lateral change of direction ability, which is going to help you in that slot receiver position. But what they can do with him, pre-snap and post-snap, I think that would be a great fit there as well. Another one is Dwayne Eskridge. Yeah. Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. More of a linear player. I think he does have some functional hip tightness, but that's fine. Because how are you going to scheme it? If you're talking about RPOs and throwing glance routes, that's all over the Western Michigan tech. It is. <laughs> and with him, it's catch and go. I mean, he's got really high-end straight line speed. I know his, I think his pro day numbers, now all these pro day numbers are extremely fast this year, but that's the number we have. So I think his pro day number, guys, was in the high four threes. But you see the game speed on film. And you're talking about Rodgers. And you know how quickly the operation happens with Rodgers, too. There is no mesh point. The ball just comes out. Rodgers reads it. He reads the conflict defender. That ball is out immediately. You throw it right past the ear hole of that linebacker. Now you're in a catch and run opportunity with explosive play on top of it. You know, the interesting thing with these slot players is we always want to talk about separation and route running. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing with LaFleur and the way he designs the offense with the horizontal pass game, the RPOs, the quick mm-hmm. games and screens, like you had mentioned, getting the ball to guys on the move immediately. And then when they get into those third and four, third and fives, they're going to use bunches and stacks. These receivers in Green Bay's offense don't have to work too hard to get open. No. So I want that guy that is a dynamite player with the ball in his hands. He could look like a running back for all I care. Like if a, if it's an Amari Rogers, you know, out of Clemson who looks like Debo Samuel, who has a big lower half, big butt on him in shorts and a t-shirt. He looks like a running back. And that's kind of how I feel about Rondell Moore. I know people are kind of sniding at him for being five, seven, Give him a 20-something number and put him in the backfield for all I care. I think you're allowed to catch passes out of the backfield, Matt. And I think some pretty good ones do it around the league. So there's some guys like that or even a Demetrius Felton or Kenneth Gainwell that maybe has the running back label that in the NFL, we're going to call them gadget. We're going to call them slot backs that are going to do a little bit of everything. So there's a lot of really interesting run-after catch players in this draft, but I'm not as focused on the separation. I want a guy that's dangerous with that ball in his hands. I agree. And that I use the term scheme of motor. I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about, Ben. You can do that based on formation, alignment, and movement. And like you said, a stack set. Well, a stack set, ask any defensive back. You're not getting your hands on. You're just not. Yep. You're going to create that natural rub, which is really a pick off the line of scrimmage. Now he's free. And a and sneaky not, guy, you're, uh, you're Iowa guy on day three, Smith Marset. Yeah. I think he'd look good in green and gold, too. And he's got kick return ability as well, high end kick return ability. Something that green so, yeah, there, there are, are players now, and I agree with you. I had this discussion the other day. I don't think the league, it still is on the outside, but inside, I don't think it's much about defined route running traits anymore. I don't. I don't think you need to be this elite route runner to get open in the NFL, especially the amount of crossers and overs. Crossers and overs, that's when at the line of scrimmage and go, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're schemed from bunches or stacks, you're getting out into the route immediately. I think that's so important to discuss as well. And I think on the other side of that really quick, Matt, is QB friendly is now an is now an endearing term of offenses. It used to be a negative. It used to be a detriment to your quarterback's ability. Now you want quarterback friendly. Why not have easy completions and get the ball in the hands of these weapons and the best teams, the best offenses have some pretty quarterback friendly concepts. And I think Green Bay is one of them. I agree. Define throws with an elite talent at the position that and that that leads to MVP. Elite talent plus elite scheme mm-hmm. equals elite offense. I agree. <laughs> Great points. Great point. And I, I think Green Bay getting some of those explosive playmakers would be a ton of fun. Matt, we got to get you out of here, but real quick before we go, who are a couple of two, three guys that uh, are Matt Bowen guys in this draft? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say one, I mean, this is probably too easy to say, but Kyle Pitts. Um, just because Kyle Pitts and what he can do. I wrote a piece at ESPN this week 
And I put 15 prospects that are kind of made for today's NFL, had scheme-specific traits, could fit in today's offense. And I, and I picked Kyle Pitts because of his receiving traits and playing a wide receiver position because of his ability to flex outside of the core of the formation. He can play in the slot. He can play as your backside X. And I had a, a comp for him was Plaxico Burks because he has a physical long frame at the point of attack and out-muscle defensive backs. And inside the you know, plus 15-yard line, his scoring upside really climbs. Um, you mentioned Kenneth Gainwell earlier, Ben. I, I like Kenneth Gainwell a lot. I think he has the modern trade for today. Like you mentioned, if you want to call him a slot back, that's fine. I do think he can give you touches in the run game, but I don't think he's a high volume run, run you know, in terms of ball carrier volume. But I think his volume comes as a receiver. You watched the Memphis film. He opted out of last season in 2019. Yes, he can run the choice routes, the angles, the arrows in the backfield, but he's in line in the slot running corners. He's aligning to the boundaries, a wide receiver, catching the ball in back shoulder face. There's a lot of things he can do for you there. Um, and then at the safety position, we already mentioned him, Richie Grant, but another one's Elijah Molden. I like Elijah Molden. If I'm a secondary coach, I want to coach guys and play with urgency. And that's what you get with Elijah Molden. I don't know exactly what his fit is. Is he that slot safety bend? Maybe in a zone-heavy scheme, we can match underneath, we can pressure him. We can drop, play with that forward ability. But I want guys like that in my secondary. I want guys when I turn on the tape, I said, look, they play hard. Their game speed jumps. I don't know what he runs in the 40. I don't care. Because I watched him on film against Pac-12 competition, and he can find and locate the ball and finish. Yeah, uh, Elijah Molden reminds me of another Iowa guy, Micah Hyde, uh, some yeah. of that slot corner. Good yeah. Whatever he is, he's a good ball player. Just get him out there and he'll do his job and you love to see it. Uh, Matt, you are absolutely amazing for taking the time. Thank you for joining us on this 1000th episode. I know you got to run. We could probably do this and keep talking up until the time the draft starts if we wanted to, but I <laughs> uh, appreciate you taking the time. Um, really quick, Matt, tell us where we can find that article on ESPN and tell us what you're going to be working on from now until the draft. Oh, well, it's up on ESPN Plus right now. I have another piece coming out next week. Uh, and it's kind of the draft superlatives. I, I pick my best prospects at each position and what they do best. You know, so in the secondary, you know, it's a de defensive back with the best, you know, man coverage ability, the defensive back with the most ball skills, um, the quarterback position, deep ball accuracy, arm talent, et cetera, down the line. That'll be up, I think, next Friday. And then we're starting our draft shows at NFL Matchup. They'll be in prime time. Uh, April 21st, our first show, and then the second show is the week of the draft. April 27th, they'll be on ESPN and ESPN2 with Greg Cosell and South Bell. We'll have a great time breaking down the prospects there. All right, Matt, thanks so much. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattBowen41. You can follow Ben at BenFennel underscore NFL. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Thanks, as always, for listening, everyone. And until next time, and as always, go Paco. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.